My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. How do you feel about money? Does the word draw up excitement or dread or confusion? Would you rather not think about it? How often do you discuss money stuff with your friends? If you're like many people I know, and okay me, it's not the breeziest subject. I personally believe that the way we feel about financial abundance and money decisions, all of that is very often linked with our sense of self-worth and even our beliefs around our bodies and sexuality, especially for women and femmes. I even address this a little bit in my Girl Boner book. No matter what our gender is, money stress can wreak havoc on our lives and relationships, but women in particular tend to struggle in this area. We tend to live longer than men, but we're also 80% more likely to live in poverty from midlife on, according to a report by the National Institute of Retirement Security. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin. Today, we're going to explore some of the whys behind all of this and what women can do to start investing There's another tough word, right? At least for me, it sounds a little bit Latin when I really think about it. We'll also hear Dr. Megan Fleming's thoughts for a listener whose complicated relationship with money is interfering with her dating life. Before we dive in, a quick reminder to sign up for Girl Boner Extras on my website, augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. There you can also explore my blog, read articles I've written, and learn more about my books. For details on upcoming Girl Boner events, click on Appearances. Now, I'm so pleased to welcome Elaine Lowe to the show. Elaine is a financial journalist and video producer for Investors Business Daily, where she covers retail, media, and personal finance. Her byline has appeared in Jezebel, Mochi Magazine, Hungry Girl, and other publications. She is the co-creator of Anne Undocumented, a web series inspired by her youth as an undocumented immigrant. The show won Best Show Form Web Series at the 2014 New York Television festival and was featured on the full screen app. Elaine graduated summa cum laude at 20 from Dominican University in Illinois thanks to a full merit scholarship and her work is very important. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Thanks so much for having me. I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. As Mm -hmm. I mentioned in the the intro, a lot of people don't even really like thinking too much about this stuff, Mm -hmm. about money and finances. A lot of us have really bumpy roads. What inspired you to to explore this in your writing? Well, I I have covered the financial industry for over four years now. And something that's always been sort of a disconnect for me is covering it in this space in a business area And then going out to lunch with friends, you know, and it's like, how often do we talk about money with our friends? And it's a a complicated subject, you know, and it's really dicey. But we're more comfortable, I think, talking about sex over brunch than salaries or retirement savings. And why is that? Yeah, why is that? I was I've thought about that, too. It's interesting because it's. It's another taboo subject. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're really not supposed to talk about sex. So we're really not supposed to talk about money. <laughs> but they're both really big parts of most of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the issues, do you think? 
obviously there's some societal messaging mm-hmm. there, right? Yeah, I mean, well, think about all the movies you've seen, right? I mean, like The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, you know, it's it's like how many empowered women are in that scenario? How many, or even when you're talking about villains and bad guys, you know, like how many women are do you picture when you think of that? How many women on Wall Street can you think of that are powerful and iconic not any yeah. at the moment. <laughs> no. There's that gambling movie I just saw, a true story, and the Which main one? character's a woman. What is it called? Oh, gosh. She was a skier, uh, an Olympic skier. Okay. And then she was in an accident, and she came really good at at gambling. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but that was the first time. I don't, and that was one of the unique things about it mm-hmm. was that she was like the quote shark, you know, the oh, financial shark. Interesting. But yeah, and you know, I have a couple of stats here. Um, was it? I think 45% of women in a recent survey said that they don't have a financial role model. Even that term. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting to me. I've never thought about that. Like, who's Sorry the female Warren Buffett? Yeah. So 45% of women surveyed do not did not have a financial role model. Right. So that would be any anyone that they look up to mm-hmm. who they want to have a similar type of financial path. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you have one? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, you know, somebody who's been really prominent on the financial scene lately is the CEO of this um, investing firm called Elvest, uh, Sally Krawcheck. And she used to be the head of Citigroup and Morgan Stanley's wealth management divisions. And she's really been a very vocal voice in this area lately of like, you know, women should be investing, women should be empowered, um, because money is power. And that's something that you know, I don't know if women really think about it. It's like we're all really driving our careers and we're being a little more comfortable about having that kind of naked ambition professionally. But when it comes to money, it's like how many, how do we talk about it? Do we even really think about it in those terms? And also I think there's a sense of we, quote, shouldn't. Like good girls shouldn't like sex. Good girls shouldn't want money. Like I even, I remember having this conversation. It was a free life coaching kind of session on the phone from one Mm -hmm. of those really big companies right and the guy was talking to me about my my financial goals and he told me at the end after I had like rambled on for 10 or 15 minutes about the things I was thinking about he said do you realize that several times you said I'm not money's not really my priority or I'm not really a money person Mm -hmm. and I never mentioned a number even though he was asking me Mm. about financial goals and I thought whoa Mm-hmm. I hadn't even realized. I mean, that's shame is what that is, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't know what it is exactly. If it's just like a sort of discomfort with the idea of money, of harnessing the power of money, of just building wealth. And, you know, I was talking to the editor of Acorns magazine, Grow, Jennifer Barrett, and she said something that really resonated with me. She said, um, you know, if you're not comfortable investing, what you're really saying is you're not comfortable building wealth. And... That struck me as a powerful statement because it's like, oh, yeah, when you're saying like, oh, I'm not like a money person or I'm not really thinking about money. I mean, like, why are we couching it? Like, what is the reason behind that? Yeah, that is really fascinating. I think there's maybe a sense of, oh, then I would be selfish, Mm -hmm. even though the only way and this is what drives me to build my own business. And it's a priority for me has been to cultivate that sort of more abundance mindset over the past Mm -hmm. years. But to think if I want to reach more people and accomplish more with the work that is so meaningful to me, meaning mm-hmm. all things girl boner, I need to 
invest in my own company, mm-hmm. which requires capital, which right. requires, you know, building and, and, and seeing these opportunities, but it also requires seeing your own worth mm-hmm. in that. Like it's, I think it's hard for us to put a, I don't know, mon- monetary value, mm-hmm. you know, we feel like we're, we're selling out somehow when in fact it's, it seems like it's a really important form of self-care. Oh yeah. That's interesting. That's an interesting connection to connect it to self-care, but yeah. And, and when you think about, again, this other disconnect, too, like collectively as women, we've become so vocal and so active politically and professionally. Why aren't we there financially? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I know from you <laughs> that women are a lot less likely to invest at all, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I have to say that it just seems very confusing for me to even step into. So could you share... What what are the steps, maybe what are the barriers as well for a woman to invest? I, I think even the term sounds really vague and confusing to a lot of us. Are you mm-hmm. talking about the stock market? Yes. Uh, generally, when we're talking investing, it means the broader stock market. Um, you know, I think when women, there was a study from PNC that shows that, you know, when women are growing up, they're taught to uh, save, but not necessarily how to build wealth on the same level that parents talk to boys about building wealth and growing their money. And so maybe that's why when we think of accumulating money, we think about saving. We think about stashing it all away in a savings account and not necessarily investing it in the market and really you know, building out your financial power. But um, in terms of the stats, uh, the ACORN study said that 50% of women didn't invest a dime in 2017 versus 44% of men. So women just tend to not invest more than men. And even when it comes to retirement savings, they participate less in their 401ks and they contribute less. And so when you're talking about this huge gender wealth gap, there are a few different things at play, right? Like you're talking, the first thing most people think of is the wage gap. And that definitely plays into the equation. Um, but then there are some other factors where we can we can catch up you know, and, and part of that is actively building your wealth through investing. Yeah. Is one of the issues too, or I don't know if this is an issue per se, but just a different set of circumstances. I feel that a lot of women have built their own work or maybe they are raising a family and they have an unconventional side hustle, some people call it, mm-hmm. or maybe they don't take their their work as seriously because of some of those cultural messaging ideas that we hear. But I know as an independent contractor, freelancer, when you're Mm -hmm. doing your own thing, it's not an automatic, you know, uh, savings doesn't just come. Like you don't have someone doing that for you. And then also some of the gender issues with, with maybe not being chosen for some of those higher up positions where Mm -hmm. you would make more money and have retirement. If you're building it yourself, it seems that there are some unique challenges. Right. And part of it has to do with financial literacy, right? I mean, and this applies to men and women. Like, I remember, and this is super embarrassing, um, the first time I had to write out a check by myself, and maybe, I don't know, it was like a freshman in college or something, I had to Google, like, where, like, what does to the pay to the order of mean? Like, what, where do I put my name, you know? Like, and it's like, nobody taught me how to write a check. Like, in high school, they don't have those kinds of, like, home ec classes anymore where they teach you, here's how you save, here's how you invest, these are the total financial basics, here's how you file a tax return on your own. 
And here's what a credit card is and how it works. Yes. I feel like so many people get a credit card. I've seen stations set up on college campuses mm-hmm. with no information on how to do it. It actually makes me feel a little better about myself knowing that you too have had some struggles because you're you're writing about this topic so mm-hmm. brilliant and I feel oh, missing. Mm-hmm. We aren't hearing about this conversation enough because I has it been strengthening for you personally to to understand this and to become proactive in your own life? Oh, totally. I mean, to be totally honest, I didn't start actively investing until I was about 30, which is it's not like I had a ton of money before then anyway to invest. But I mean, you know, I just felt like and I still feel like I'm behind on the curve because I didn't have that financial literacy earlier and that active awareness of like, yeah, I should be striving to reach my career goals, but I should also be striving to reach certain financial goals instead of thinking like that stuff will just fall into place naturally later, the higher up I get in my career. Because even though even if you feel like you're broke, even if you can only put away, you know, X amount of money, even if you're saving and investing just a little bit a month, we have to remember that the power of compound interest is really going to help. Because if you invest, you know, whatever, $100 a month, $100 every two months, and that accumulates in the stock market historically, I think the historical average is against 9.8% a year over the last 90 years. Um, you know, you're going to be building your wealth without even doing anything because your money's just sitting there. And obviously people are, there are fears about timing the market and, you know, when's the next crash and recession and all of that. And and the Great Recession has definitely instilled, uh, I think, some very generational fears for a lot of 20 and 30-something-year-old women. But, um, but I mean, historically, if you're looking over a span of, hey, I'm going to put my money here and I'm not going to touch it for 40 years until I retire – you're going to build a much bigger bundle than if you're sacking it away in your, you know, savings account that gets what like 0.08% interest. Yeah, the interest is ridiculously low. I've heard they used to be higher the interest mm-hmm. rates and now savings it's like a few cents a year for I mean it's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. I know there are some better options, but do you have feelings about an emergency fund? I've heard different mm-hmm. tips about have x number of months saved up of all of your living expenses like before you invest. Yeah, so generally the experts say you should have a certain amount liquid, like you should have a certain amount of cash in your emergency fund. You should also make sure that you're really set for retirement, that you're investing in your 401k and all of that first before you're actively investing in the stock market. So, you know, there are definitely certain areas where you have to make sure that you're comfortable and, and, and safely set up there first. Which takes a lot of mindfulness, too, I think, because you have to know how much you spend every month. Mm-hmm. I've heard of an activity that I haven't done, but it sounds really smart to me, which is keeping a journal of just mm-hmm. just jotting down where your money goes. Because I think also now that we use cards and Venmo and mm-hmm. PayPal for so many things. It's easier not to think about it. Yeah. It's so different. If you have a wad of money mm-hmm. or, you know, you have all dollar bills it's amazing to me how quickly it feels like it goes. You're like, yes. I thought I had all this money in my wallet, <laughs> but obviously not. And yeah, do you think that we need to be more mindful of our spending? Oh, definitely. And again, that's something that can apply to both men and women. You know, it's like it's easy to not think about it if it's on a card and the money doesn't seem real, or if you're buying something online and you're not even physically handing over a card. Um, and then another thing that people don't think about is inflation. I mean, inflation is about. a year. So if you're putting your money in a savings account that has like 0.08% interest 
and the rate of inflation is 2% a year, then your purchasing power, your money is objectively worth less in the future. So it's not even like hoarding all of that money is doing you that much good because $1,000 now is not going to be able to buy you the same things that $1,000 20 years from now is going to buy you. It's going to be able to buy you a lot less then. It's so sad. It's like you try to save and then actually you're <laughs> yeah. going down, down, down. So I know a lot of this can sound a little bit overwhelming for someone who's just starting out, right? Like you said, it's never too late to start. Mm -hmm. What are some of the very first steps you take? Let's say that you don't, maybe you don't have any savings. You have a checking account, you Mm -hmm. have some credit cards, you have a, you have a job, you're not, you're not rolling in it, Mm -hmm. but you want to, you want to start. Well, there are a few different strategies and there are a few different schools of thought, right? And one school of thought is that you tackle your debt first and that you tackle your highest interest debt first. Because if you're investing and it's not even keeping up with the amount of interest that your debt is accruing, then it's kind of canceling each other out, right? So a lot of the traditional advice is tackle your debt first. Um, And then there are some different strategies of like being able to try and pay off some of your debt while putting a little bit away investing just to try and sort of build up those two piles at once. Yeah, which is probably an empowering feeling too. I have found that when I, since I do my own thing, I pay myself out of my business. Mm -hmm. And at times that I can't pay myself very much, but I still pay myself something. Mm -hmm. It does something mentally that Mm -hmm. feels strengthening. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something else that people can do is just, you know, the experts say, just start. Like getting started is the hardest part, right? Especially when you're thinking, oh, like I don't have a lot and like I'm a little intimidated and I don't know what all this jargon means. Um, but the traditional advice, again, is just find a low-cost index fund. It's what Warren Buffett says to do. It's what Mark Cuban says to do. And what exactly is this fund? <laughs> so there are a tons of low-cost index funds. And, you know, no matter what broker you're signed up with, it's there are different low-cost index funds available. But an index fund basically invests in hundreds or thousands of different companies. And so you have that uh, that safety in diversity. Because if you're putting all of your money in, say, Tesla, and then Tesla tanks the next day, well, you know, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. But if you're investing in like 3,000 different companies, then you're hedging your bets a little more and giving your money a, a chance to grow. And how risky, I'm sure it varies, but how risky is the stock market? I think because we see it in the movies and we see, we hear about the really extreme things that happen. Mm-hmm. So fear around I invest my money, it all disappears is probably, it sounds like that option is a safer one. Yeah, that's that's why the experts typically uh, recommend an index fund, because then you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. You're not saying I'm only betting on Facebook to, to lead us through the next 30 years and to build my wealth. You're saying, hey, like, you know, I, I'm keeping my options open. I'm investing in a lot of different companies. Um, that really increases your chances of of actually building wealth. And, you know, talking about risk, that's really interesting because women seem to have a different relationship with risk than men. Like, and, you know, the term people use sometimes is risk averse. But, you know, when I was talking to to Krawcheck from Elvis, she was saying it's not that women are risk averse. It's that they aren't risk aware. And that when people make women aware of what the risk is, they're actually more likely to start taking that risk because they're just they understand more. So again, it, it comes back a little bit into it plays back a little bit into financial literacy and just understanding Wall Street. And then conversely, I mean, Wall Street isn't exactly doing a ton to woo female investors. So they're not doing 
their part, arguably, to make women aware of risk yeah. and just educating potential investors. What do you think of the different apps or do you have a thought on them? There are different investing apps that you can try it out. They might guide you a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that they can be a good way to kind of get that literacy a little bit and, and try it out. Have, have you tried any? Oh, are you there, there are a ton of apps. Um, I, well, I use more traditional brokers myself, but there are a lot of newer uh, brokerages out there. There's Acorns, there's Robinhood, there's Stash. Those are the really popular Robinhood ones. Robinhood was the one I, I downloaded. Everybody's I, heard of Robinhood. Really? Mm -hmm. I couldn't get I, – I downloaded it because a friend of mine said she'd get credit if her friends didn't. I was like, maybe that'll get me to do this. And then I couldn't get the setup done, so then I got frustrated and – <laughs> never used it so again well you were very close to I getting so started <laughs> and now I feel like I'm already feeling like I can take that next step mm -hmm. are any of them worth it do you recommend them I don't have any personal recommendations because I, I haven't used them but um but you know people seem to Robin Hood is very popular and it's interesting they have slightly different ideas with acorns I think it's acorns is the one where it's like if you go to a coffee shop and you spend like 365 on a coffee acorns will take the additional 35 cents it'll round up to the next dollar and just start putting that away for you oh. so it's like you don't even really think about it and it's taking it in such micro amounts that you're not feeling the pinch on your wallet right away oh that's nice yeah I like that it's a little bit at a time so it's not so intimidating right Kind of yeah. eases you into it. So if we don't use an app, where do we even go? You mentioned some different companies, different brokers. Mm -hmm. How do you find one that's trustworthy and, and reputable and maybe a good fit for our own needs? Um, well, there are the big guys, you know, that you've probably heard of before. Fidelity, Vanguard, Charles Schwab, um, you know, Investors Business Daily. We actually publish a best brokers list every year, and then it sort of ranks everybody by, like, customer service and, you know, all these other factors so you can kind of find out who's right for you. Um, but generally, you know, there there are a ton of options out there. So it's not, it's not as hard to get started as you think. I think that – or as a lot of people think. I think that barrier is, is more psychological than anything else. Do you have to have some financial literacy before you approach somebody or start investing – I mean, obviously, you need a little bit, but do you would you think the first step would be to like research these terms and get a basic understanding, or would you work with a company who would help you? Do they guide you through some of that stuff? Well, some people like using financial advisors, and one misconception is that you have to be super wealthy to have a financial advisors, but there are others that will cater to you know across the board of the the income spectrum. Um, so, I mean, I definitely like the idea of being more financially literate before you start anything. But um, there's definitely something to be said for learning as you go along. Yeah. And investor uh, guidance, I think, would be really helpful. You mentioned the um, having some sort of person to shepherd you through, basically, mm -hmm. and for different income levels. That That's cool. Because I bet there are some that specifically work with maybe lower income people or it's not all ultra high net worth folks. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. then there's also a lot of free resources online, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm, I'm inspired by even just hearing you say all of this. It's 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 helping me personally. So I know that a lot of people listening are are benefiting too. I, I wonder too if you have noticed in all of your research that some people, maybe especially women, tend to struggle with also there's like a fear of around spending money, you know, mm. and, and that fine line between 
investing in yourself and paying for things like your business. Earlier, we, before we started, we were talking a little bit about the beauty decisions, which mm-hmm. is what I, I write about a bit, that so many different companies and corporations are really, they put a lot of money into these different services and treatments and beauty things that we can do. And it's, I'm all for people doing what they wish to, you know, with their Mm -hmm. bodies and expressing themselves as they wish. But a lot of them are very, very expensive too. I feel like there's a pressure on us too, to spend more money. Mm -hmm. Do you find that to be the case when you're, as you're studying all of this, is that one of the factors that's challenging? That's something that some of the experts do say. Like when I was talking to, to Barrett at Acorns, she was saying, you know, think about you know, how often we're encouraged to go out and, and spend, basically. There's sort of that cultural messaging around women and shopping. I think about the ads you see when people are trying to sell you things. How often is it a group of guys going shopping in a mall, you know, versus a bunch of women, a bunch of friends going shopping? And think about it in the magazines, too. Like, whenever uh, whenever they talk about a quote-unquote investment piece, right? Like, oh, you have to have this Hermes bag. Like, it'll age so well. Or <laughs> you have to have this pair of pants. It's a classic. It's an investment piece. Okay, clothing is not an investment, okay? Clothing depreciates in value the second you start wearing it. It'll only start deteriorating. So it's not an investment in the strict sense. It's I hear you. <laughs> yeah, that that really resonates with me. I did take it too far, however, where I someone told me not to spend money on clothes when I moved to L.A. Because I was acting <laughs> at the time. They were like, which I think made sense. Like, don't spend your money on things you don't need to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can go to Ross or you can go to the thrift store. Don't spend. Mm-hmm. But I took it very far where I would not spend money on, you know, I became a little too afraid to spend money on clothes and stuff like that. And so I think there can be a place where we are investing in ourselves in a way that maybe we feel more confident because we're able to, you know, dress in a way that feels more authentic or the clothes are better quality or whatever. But but then you see the opposite extreme that, again, mm-hmm. like you said, the messaging is go out shop with your friends. You have to have this bag. You have to have this. I mean, even the makeup trends since I was mm-hmm. in high school, I mean, nobody cared about your eyebrows then. Nobody <laughs> did all these, like, fancy things for people's eyelashes, um, these, like, contouring things. Like, there's a thousand products just that you can put on your face every morning. There's always something new, right? There's always something where you're being urged to, hey, you just buy this one more thing from Sephora, right? And like, well, I'm guilty of it at least. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, I totally need this whatever jade roller for my face. Like, I don't know what this is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, these things that I always wonder too, if all these different creams and all these different sprays and all mm-hmm. these different, you could go to a, a makeup party and I know that there are wonderful high quality products and mm-hmm. some people are very into that stuff. But I've looked at some of the products and it'll be the same ingredients or similar ingredients in two different creams that you're supposed to wear every day. You know, Mm -hmm. just the the whole idea that we have to spend money to be attractive or. Right. And that's like a whole other can of worms, right? Like this whole thing of, you know, this pressure to feel and look attractive conventionally so. It's one of those lines that I think we need to make sure we're not making decisions in order to kind of, quote, fix something that's not right, broken. Right, Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a fine line, I feel like, between self-care and then molding yourself into what society is expecting of you. Yeah, absolutely. What about spending money on so, sort of the more frivolous things? Um, do you personally feel that the, like, nickeling and diming thing is a big problem where people are spending $5 on Starbucks here and this much on, you know... Mm. 
versus choosing the things that really matter to you. Maybe that Starbucks in the morning is like your favorite thing and it is the the one thing you treat yourself to versus something that you're doing all throughout the day. Right. That's such a personal decision. I'm not going to slam any millennials for having avocado toast in Starbucks, you know, but I think there you do have to consider what's important to me. What can I go without so that I can instead pocket this extra $10 a week and put it in an investing investment account and really start building my wealth there versus getting that instant gratification of whatever it may be, you know? Yeah, yeah. I read that millennials are cooking at home a lot more, mm. which made a lot of sense to me. I mean, it's as I think you mentioned that millennials in particular have more anxiety around not being able to save. Yeah. And cooking could be one of the reasons then you can save the restaurant fees. It reminds me of an interesting story I saw on Vox the other day about the homebody economy and just how millennials are staying in more. Oh, yeah. There's a picture of everyone in being in one bed together with <laughs> smartphones, right? Right. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, was that, I didn't read the article, but it was that the point of it to basically be home, save money? Well, it was sort of about just this this sort of cultural thing now where it's like we enjoy staying at home. We talk about staying at home. We talk about staying at home to Netflix and, well, just, I guess, eat or whatever, you know, <laughs> if not Netflix and, Netflix and chill. But, yeah. like, uh, yeah, there's – I don't know what – how that ties into the saving portion of that, What how much of that is tied to money versus just not feeling like we need to push ourselves to go out every night. Um, but, yeah, millennials have a really interesting relationship to money we're on the, you know, we just came up on the 10th anniversary of the financial crisis. A lot of us still have memories of that. I graduated from college in 2007, just, a, you know, when it was all just beginning to happen. And I remember all through my 20s, a lot of my friends, they couldn't find jobs. And we're talking really smart, highly educated people. You know, they throw themselves in the grad school or something instead. And coming out on the other side of that, I mean, a lot. that's why a lot of us are in our early 30s and we feel behind because we weren't able to jumpstart our careers. We weren't able to jumpstart our retirement savings or investing. So we're only just catching up to that now. And because of the Great Recession, a lot of people just don't trust Wall Street and they don't trust banks. So what do you do if you need to build wealth but you don't trust Wall Street? That's a really good question. Is there an answer to that? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't, haven't come up with one. Yeah, because Wall Street still does seem to be the most powerful way. I suppose there are other investments you can invest in, perhaps a home, a business, yeah. other things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you believe you have to spend money to make money? Mm. That's interesting. I mean, I suppose it depends on what you do. But, I mean, how, what have you found with your own business? I've thought about this a lot because you hear that a lot, right? Right. That, that you have to. And it's encouraged me at certain times because since I have always been in the arts, there is that sort of feast or famine thing. So like mm -hmm. when the financial crisis hit, it, for me, it kept going the way that it always has, but where it goes up and down. And, you know, so I, I really felt for people who had a really stable, quote, secure, predictable plan that got shaken up mm -hmm. because... I didn't choose that path intentionally. So so I'm I'm used to that. Um, I personally believe that you can build a business without spending very much money. Mm -hmm. I started Girl Boner with a blog, you know? So I treated it like a business, though. And I think that's really important is the mindset mm -hmm. that you take it very seriously. It was always the, the work that I did 
when my brain felt the sharpest, I started my days with it. And then along the way, it's a series of trying to navigate when it makes sense to in, invest in something in your business and when it doesn't. And, you know, mm-hmm. and you make mistakes. You spend money on something that it seems like it's going to be profitable and then it's not. Or you wish you had, had spent money to go to a certain conference that would have been amazing and you chose not to. And I think with trial and error, you figure that out. Mm-hmm. But certainly along the way, uh, this has been on my mind a lot because going on a book tour has been – because book tours are not what they used to be where – the company, I, I read this, so I, I believe this to be true, but it seems so surreal to me. It used to be that the publisher would just give the author a credit card. <laughs> what? Um, so I have support from a publisher, which is wonderful, but most of my book tour has been self-funded. Really? And and I chose to do it, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I've been open about that because I don't want people to think that, you know, I want them to know the reality of what it is to be a writer, too. A lot of people don't. I mean, those of us who aren't in book publishing, I thought, yeah, your publisher sort of takes care of everything for you, sets you up in a nice hotel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And some do. And I and I have had that kind of support from them at, at certain occasions. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for it. But things like if I want to go to a certain city on my own, they will support it. But the live events don't make much money. Mm. And a lot of times you're putting in a a lot of money into it. If you're if you're paying for a flight and a hotel, most authors make between one and two dollars per book copy, and that's after if you're traditionally published, after you make back your advance hmm. through royalties. So, I told a story on my blog recently that Cheryl Strayed, when she was on Oprah the first time, she had a New York Times bestseller, Wild, an incredible book, but her rent check bounced. And she could only afford to get a $5 shirt at a thrift store oh, wow. to go and be on Oprah. And I kept that story with me as I was doing my book tour because mm-hmm. I it's very nerve-wracking for me to – I bought like five plane tickets in, within like a few months. And that was terrifying for me because mm-hmm. I, I know what it's like to be very, very broke. And yeah. you know, this, this is so interesting because this kind of transparency is something that, again, you don't really see, right? And – even when you're within the same industry, it's like, how often do we talk about this stuff? Like, I didn't know any of that stuff that you just told me. That's that's amazing. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I do wish we had more conversations. I do, which is why I love your writing so much is because it's bringing light to something that maybe it does start a conversation. I hope so. I mean, again, even when we talk about our closest friends, like when was the last time you talked to your closest friend about money? Like how often does that come up in conversation when was the last time you said, hey, like, what's this, how's your retirement savings coming along? You know, and I mean, that's not, it's not <laughs> yeah. like the most interesting thing to talk about. But it's, it's it, is it something that even is top of mind ever when we're talking to friends and family? Right. right. It, it so often isn't. I I, do, I have tried to make a point to bring it up with. But the thing is, a lot of my friends are indie entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So it comes up. But more more often, it's the mindset thing where we're talking about this is scary. Right. Or you're talking about, hey, you know, I feel really broke. Or you're talking about the downsides. But whenever do we talk about building wealth and saying, like, hey, how do we do better? How do we help each other to accumulate wealth? Yes. Why don't we have wealth parties like money talk happy hour or something catchier Mm -hmm. than that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What do you think that would do if we were to have those conversations more often and and to with confidence say, how do you feel about wealth? Like, what are we going to do to build our our empires mm-hmm. for whatever reason we desire? Right. I mean, you would think that that would go hand in hand with our collective professional ambitions. But I just feel like that's been a lagging conversation. 
And yeah, I think it would do a great deal for women to actually be a little more transparent. And it's it's obviously hard to be to talk about salaries and stuff with anybody, even close friends or family. That's a really touchy subject. But I mean, even just talking about like, hey, like, how are you investing? Like, if you don't have a 401k because you're an independent contractor, do you have a Roth IRA? How else are you saving and investing your money? Like, I'm curious, like, what are you using without having to divulge actual numbers? Just talking about methodology, I think, opens so many doors. Yeah, yeah. And even the basic questions of, have you thought about retirement? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's what I have found is by being vulnerable ourselves and sharing a thought, a fear, a challenge, or sometimes it's very vulnerable to talk about the success too, oh, sure. right? Or to say, hey, I'm getting wealthier. I mean, who says that? Right. Um, but I, I have had a couple of friends say, I want to treat you all because I'm, I'm rolling in it this month. And I thought that was so cool mm-hmm. for someone to say that and to say, let's celebrate this together. But uh, but yeah, it's it does seem like once somebody starts a conversation, so many people have a desire to talk about it, but you don't feel allowed, which right. is, again, reminds me so much of sex and sexual empowerment is the when you tell a story, then everyone's like, oh, my gosh, me right. too. Or <laughs> I have to tell you my experience. But I, it almost feels like we feel like we don't have permission. Yeah. I mean, why is it that sexual questions and money questions are things that we're furtively Googling by ourselves on our laptops as opposed to just talking to the person next to us, to our good friends about it, to yeah. people we trust? It's true. It's really true. It's really true. So do you have those conversations now more often? I try to. After having written the story, actually, I try to have those conversations. And, and there's really only one friend of mine who was always really open you know, about her salary, even about the ways she's investing, about all these new kinds of high yield savings accounts that she's found that will keep pace with inflation. Um, and she was really the only person who I talked to. But now I'm trying to have those conversations with close friends. And it's tough. You know, like these are people that I've known since high school, people that I've known for, you know, like nearly two decades now. And it's just like, how do you start having those conversations when you haven't had those conversations before? And these are the people that you're you trust more than anybody in the world. Has it gone well in some scenarios? Yeah. And, you know, it, with different friends, it's been different. Sometimes there's still a certain reticence about it. And. Again, I think that comes down to salaries, like when you don't know what the other person's making and you just don't know what kind of feelings those are going to produce if you do know. Um, So I will say that I personally, I am transparent with some friends who have, you know, been who we've mutually been transparent with each other, but just sort of being comfortable with others, just talking in generalities. But I'm really trying to just talk about money more with with everybody and to sort of encourage people to think about it. Yeah. Do you think it's important within those conversations to talk about things like salary or or how much, if it's your own business, how much you're charging for like packages, how mm-hmm. much, do you think those specifics are important to talk about, not important? I think it depends. I mean, if you're in the same industry, I think that could be really important, you know, like, Otherwise, you're just looking up on Glassdoor to see, hey, what's the national salary here? What's the average for my city? But that's the only data that you're getting. Yeah. And if you could be getting some valuable anecdotal data, then why not? It's true. And I think it's also helpful or it's been helpful for me to find out what industry standards are so that Mm -hmm. you don't end up kind of hurting the industry. Yeah. There was a case where I was very new in my sexuality work and I'd been starting to speak about it. And I was so eager to speak that I didn't know that a particular conference was paying their speakers. I submitted, I applied to speak, I was accepted. I didn't ask for pay, so they didn't pay me. 
And then I found out that a bunch of the others did. And so if you don't have that communication within your industry, it can get a little wonky. Yes. And that's why it's oh important. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, why didn't I think of it? I think we, I think also women tend to more often volunteer. Yeah. Do you find that? Yeah. I mean, just, you know, personally, anecdotally, I would say that it's, it's like one thing that I've personally been trying to stop doing is apologizing for myself. Yeah. You know, just stop oh saying goodness. sorry for yourself. And I just, I feel like that all sort of ties into holistically how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about talking about money, how we feel about being more aggressive financially. We need to stop apologizing for ourselves and just go get what we want. It's so true. Thank you for saying that. I'm so for that. I, I can't tell you ever since, I think I read an article about how often women especially tend to apologize. Mm -hmm. And this was years ago. And ever since I've been more mindful of it, but then so often I, I have to delete it out of an email before I send it because it's like a default. You almost go, I'm so sorry to bother you. I'm so sorry to ask for money. I mean, (laughs) it's like, of, of course we should get paid for what we do. I also think that, and this goes across the gender spectrum, but I think women often a lot of the work that we may do, people might not take that as seriously. So, for example, mm. if people say to me, oh, my gosh, you can make you make money as a writer. <laughs> you know, I, I heard that just yesterday. And um, and it's so funny because it's like, well, yeah, do you think I spent all my time, all of my time <laughs> doing that? <laughs> you know, and and I think if we succumb to the idea that you can't make money for creating art or mm-hmm. music or writing or whatever it is you're passionate about. And again, this is pretty universal um, artists in general. I think it's when we stand up for ourselves and we believe that it's, we are worthy of, cause I like to think of it. I'm helping other writers too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also that truism of do what you love, but you know, what you love can also be profitable. <laughs> yes. And that's not a bad thing. And it's also okay to, to, to want to be profitable. Absolutely. Will you share a little bit about a couple of your recent pieces? You've done some really amazing work, and I plan to share the links as well. But they're very kind. Could you give us a, an idea of what they're about? Um, well, the recent uh, the story that I wrote immediately after the the one that we've been talking about about women and investing um, is just sort of a little guide of how to get started, right? And it's some of the things where we already talked about. One of them is to just get started because that's the biggest hurdle for a lot of people. I mean, I remember even when I was first getting started, I was like, all right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Like <laughs> it was just tough because of the idea of parting with my money to to to, to participate in this system where you don't know what. What's going to happen next? And I mean, I say this as a financial journalist, but yeah, like if you don't know when the next correction is going to happen, and that can be scary for a lot of people. Um, but to just get started is important. And then also, you know, I talked a little bit in that piece about just talking about compound interest and that idea again of, yeah, but I'm going to leave this money here for like 40 years <laughs> and with the mindset that I'm not going to touch this because this is separate from my emergency fund. This is separate from my other, you know, my checking account or my savings. Um, so I can afford to not look at this money and let it grow. Um, and then also just the idea of being aware of yourself financially, you know, like occasionally if you have a 401k, check in on your 401k. Are you investing just the default 3%? which is something that I don't think a lot of people who are employed full-time and have a 401k know, that the default is 3%. So if only 3% of your salary is being deposited every month or every pay period, how much is that really accumulating? Is that going to get you to the finish line? You know, Try to get as close to maxing out on your 401k as you can. So 
I mean, that yeah, that those were just a couple of things that uh, I went over in my last piece that I, I just, yeah, it's like some of us have never even thought about it before. Yeah, I'm really glad that you shared that it was challenging for you at the beginning, too, because mm-hmm. I think that will be encouraging to people to say it's it's natural to feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And But what's the downside of just giving it a try? You know, don't put all of your money into something, but just dip mm-hmm. in. Do, just try and right. see. And, and once you do start, maybe it'll get easier. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what all the financial experts that I've spoken to say. Like, to just get started is a, is a big hurdle. But yeah, I mean, something that I'd love to explore further in my work is just the attitudes of money, the toward money that women have and continue to have. And I unearthed so much of this stuff in, you know, the last story that I was working on. I mean, just a couple of stats. This Merrill Lynch study, 61% of women would rather talk about their own deaths than money. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so interesting to me because I thought the death was basically the most scary thing for a lot of people to talk about. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, 41% of women say that their biggest financial regret is not investing. And it's like if, if your biggest financial regret is not buying that investment piece handbag and if it's not investing, then maybe that says something. Wow. That's really fascinating. Yeah. And yeah, there's yeah, I mean, there's a couple other stats, too, but I won't I won't bore you with all the numbers. But like it, it's just yeah, I found this all fascinating to me. It's like it's, it's 2018, you know. Yeah, it's time. Why aren't we talking about this more? It's really important. I think it's important. It's an important thing. Also, you mentioned early on having financial role models. Mm-hmm. What about being a financial role model? Yeah. And I wonder if that's something that women think about, too. We often seek out mentors. Uh, how often do we think about becoming mentors? Yeah. I really like that idea. And knowing that when you do something strengthening financially, something that empowers you, it inevitably empowers others. Because I imagine there's also a similar link between the way we talk about our bodies tends mm-hmm. to be somewhat, quote, contagious, mm. you know, especially around kids. Kids absorb negative comments about body size and shape and ageism and all that kind of stuff. I imagine if if you grow up and all you hear are the negative things about money, mm-hmm. then that also could could kind of get imprinted on you. Yeah. I mean, I have uh, a three and a half year old and I, I've been thinking about the way, like, how am I going to talk to him about money? How am I going you know, I'm, I'm pregnant now, so it's like once I have two kids, how am I going to teach them about money in a way that doesn't make them feel like it's a shameful topic or something that we have to be very secretive about? Mm. Do you have ideas yet? Oh, I'm not that far along yet. I figure I've got a couple more years maybe. But <laughs> you do. You do. I feel like even the fact that you write and talk about this stuff is such a big part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, not feeling that it's shameful to talk about. And there's just a certain vocabulary that you have to develop too when you talk about it if it's not if money isn't something that you talk about regularly. Yeah. Yeah, it's really true. It's really true. What's a common um, financial mistake that you see people making? Hmm. Well, I tend to cover bigger corporate companies, so um, I'm not as in touch with people's personal financial mistakes, so I don't know. I, I know that personally, I feel like a financial mistake I've made is, again, just not taking that leap earlier. 
and starting to invest because now all I'm aware of is how much time I've lost. Like, oh, if I had started when I was 25, I would have compounded this much more by now. And it's one of those things where you you just can't do that, right? Like you can't keep looking back and being like, I shoulda, woulda, coulda. Right, which is one of those things too that empowerment in all areas of our lives are like that, I think. Because Mm -hmm. as soon as you start stepping into the empowerment, you almost grieve Mm-hmm. what you missed out on or you can look back and go what if I discovered this sooner mm-hmm. but there should be no shame in starting wherever you are because some people never start too right you know but just knowing that this is your journey and you can learn from the past and that that must be just be a muscle that we have to work right yeah, yeah. and obviously you don't want to get FOMO but it's like you know you got to start where you got to start yeah although speaking of FOMO there's a pretty funny site called uh well it's not funny but it's called it's a called extreme FOMO I think dot com And you can go in there and say, what if I had invested in Amazon in 2001? Like if I had put in $100 then, how much money would I have now? And it's just a a wonderful way to torture yourself. (laughs) You know, it's probably a really good idea if you can't get yourself to invest. Because then you're like, okay, I see it. Oh, man, that must be so fascinating. See, talking to you about it has been fun for me. Like this is a fun thing. I don't think people realize that it could be fun. Mm -hmm. Do you think that working on our finances, just as I think working on our relationships, working on our sex lives, working on empowerment in all aspects of our lives, it's work. Mm -hmm. Do you think it can be fun? Sure. And I think it could be something that for me, personal finance has almost become something of a hobby now. Before I thought of it as something like I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about how much I'm spending on my credit card or whatever. But now I'm just like hyper aware of all of these numbers all the time. Like what's my credit score? How much do I have in my kids 529 college savings plan? Like how can I, you know, accumulate more in X, Y and Z? And it almost becomes, I don't know, you sort of gamify it for yourself and it becomes interesting. Without it seeming like you're not, you're not obviously not tormenting yourself with numbers like I need to focus all the time on the numbers. It's actually right. a passion. Yeah. Like it's, you have fun and it's you're curious. It's mm-hmm. an adventure, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And there are just so many different things that you can learn, too, along the way. And I mean, I mean I've mean, i been a, a financial journalist for over four years. There's so much I don't know that I want to know about. Yeah. I am right with you. And anyone listening, I know so far less than she does. So just FYI, we're all on this journey t- together, mm-hmm. on our own together. And I think it's great to have support. I'm so grateful for your voice and for what you do. Thank you for speaking up about all these issues and for, for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. This was fun. Where can people learn more about you? Um, well, my work can be found on investors.com. I write for Investors Business Daily, so we also have a weekly publication um, I'm also on Twitter for work at IBD underscore E-L-O-W, or you can find me personally at Elaine Lowe. Now for our listener question, which comes from Scott, who wrote this. I was laid off from my corporate job two years ago. It paid well, but I hated almost every minute of it. I'm pursuing my dream of acting now and worry that I won't be able to find a woman who is willing to date me if I can't afford extravagances. I drive an old Buick. I eat in most days, but I'm finally happy. Do women go for guys on a shoestring budget? Scott, thank you so much for your question. The answer is absolutely yes. I love that you're doing what makes you happy. And, you know, there are women who do care more about how much money a partner makes. But you know what? They probably aren't the gals for you. Most women I know would prefer someone who leads a rich 
life over someone who has a super loaded bank account. I mean, there are other important things like, you know, being responsible with the money that you have and you want to be able to take care of yourself. But beyond that, there's so many ways to cultivate fun and romance without spending a lot of cash. So here are just a few ideas, some of my favorite sort of freebie or cheap date ideas, going for long walks or hiking, picnics, stargazing. Uh, You mentioned cookings, cooking a nice meal at home. It always almost tastes better. There's so much love in it, I think. Free days at museums. I learned about this recently. If you checked your local area at different museums, they usually have free days where you don't have to pay for tickets at all. You can also find cheap tickets online. Uh, I really like using Gold Star. You can get tickets to really big shows here in Los Angeles for like 12 bucks. It's pretty amazing, and I'm pretty sure they're national. Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say for you, Scott. Scott, thanks so much for your question. And first of all, I just want to say, you know, sometimes, you know, life gives us lemons and we make lemonade. So, um, you know, losing your job has given you this opportunity to pursue your dream of acting. Because I think, unfortunately, so many people stay in positions that, as you said, it's kind of the golden handcuffs. They get paid really well, but it's kind of soul-sucking, right? They don't really enjoy what they're doing. And if you think about it, you know, we're spending 40-plus hours of our week. It's a huge amount of our time. I, we really do um, want to love or at least really like or feel the value, right, of what we're doing um, versus sometimes some people feeling like a cog in a wheel. So first of all, I think it's great that you're taking this time to embrace your dream. And and I want to say around that, and this may sound a little woo-woo, but the I think the most important thing about attraction um, is energy, right? And if you're really happy you know, happy and not having a lot of money is definitely way more attractive than having a lot of money and stability, but being miserable. Like you probably know people like that. Are they the kind of people you want to spend your time around? I'm often reminded of, um, you know, the movie Harry Met Sally and the scene in the diner where she's sort of faking an orgasm, but like you just see this immense amount of pleasure and the woman next, the booth next door, she's, she's like, I want what she's having. So, you know, I think that that's like a lesson in life. It's how we show up and that if you're truly happy, that is going to bring the right woman to you because the best things in life, honestly, are free or not very expensive. You know, the sunsets, the beach, the hike in the woods. In fact, this weekend, uh, my family, were going camping um, and actually had to borrow or get the tent back from our uh, friend and neighbor who borrowed it. She's in her 20s and her friend who's getting married they basically got married outside and all their friends gathered for the weekend and camped all weekend. And I was like, that's pretty amazing. You know, that that's not your traditional wedding. And like, honestly, hanging out with your friends, um, I don't know what would be more special and celebratory than that. So again, the only caveat I would say here is, you know, sometimes when we're doing what we love, especially something like acting, it may take a while before you're, um, feeling like you're not stressed out about paying the bills. And so the one thing I can say is that there's nothing sexy about stress, right? Um, and there's nothing attractive about it. So, you know, as long as you have, um, you're not stressed out about paying your bills, even if you're driving your Buick, I think all is great. But that when and if you find that you are stressed out, getting a little side hustle, you know, making some part-time a uh, part-time job or making some money on the side, um, I think would be sort of finding that perfect balance, right? Doing what you love, but all, 
but in a way that you're not stressed about month to month paying the bills. I think that's the sweet spot. And, you know, it's about who you are. That's what's going to attract the right girl to you. Um, because it's about the experience, the connection, the fun, um, and all those things that make people, you know, when you fall in love with something, someone have nothing to do with money. So, you know, as always, really to definitely please follow up. I would love to hear how things go. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Again, check her out at greatlifegreatsex.com. Scott, best wishes in your career. I really believe that pursuing our passions pays off hugely. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes. If you haven't, you can also find us on iHeartRadio and Spotify. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.